Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. <laughs> hey, can we give a shout out? We've got campus students from around our nation here today. It's good to see you. Welcome home. Good to see you. Um, and before I uh, uh, get into the word, Pastor Roger and Pastor Nicola are going to be going on a sabbatical for three months, which is awesome. Uh, every seven or so, uh, seven or eight years, we encourage our pastors to take a bit of a sabbatical to recover, recoup, read the Bible, uh, and then come back. <laughs> and uh, Pastor Roger and Pastor Nicola have led us so well, led, led this service, and, and, and you as a people so, so well, along with the team. And so it, it, there's never a moment where we don't uh, want to honor you and thank you for your work, your leadership, and your fathering over us as a people. So can we honor Pastor Roger one more time? Thank you. With that being said, if you have problems, SMS Jess. Leave Pastor Roger alone. <laughs> Tonight, he's just a Christian. When you see him, just nod and walk past him. Um, those of you who are guests this evening, I want to thank you again for making us a part of your Sunday. You have chosen... A good Sunday to be here. Today, we start a three-week series entitled Frequently Asked Questions. You do not, please, want to miss this series. Next week, Marsha and Greg are going to be sharing a message answering this one question, which is, what do I do when I don't know what to do? You want to be there for that, all right? That's going to be great. Matt, that sermon is just for you right there. It's going to be great. But today, the big thought, the big idea, the big question is simply this. Who am I? Who am I? This one simple question is the hidden force behind so many of the difficult questions in our life. Like, who will I marry? Well, what career path will I choose? Do I be an entrepreneur? Do I climb the corporate ladder? Well, what shoes should I wear? What clothes Shoes should I buy? What clothes should I wear? Until I don't buy clothes or shoes. Should I sleep with him or her or not? Should I change my sexual orientation or not? Should I have Kauai or Miendos? Which one should I have? Yes, Miendos. All these questions have hidden behind them a desire and a longing to know who we are. And, and part of the tension we face in trying to find out who we are is that we are caught between two realities, the kingdom of God and the cultures of men. And the cultures of men and the kingdom of God both have an answer to your question of identity. And I wish when I was younger, someone would have said to me, the second question is always as important as the first question. And here's the second question. When it comes to the question of your identity, who do you listen to? Who, who do you give the loudest voice in your life? You see, the cultures of men define the pursuit of identity as, follow, as follows. The cultures of men say, your identity is the sum total of all your experiences. That, that in order for you to know who you are, you need to find yourself. 
Now, I know some people use that term, find yourself, in different ways. But I want to propose to you something that if you need to find yourself, is it not possible that at some point in your life you lost yourself? And if you lost yourself at some point in your life, can you trust yourself to keep yourself once you find yourself? Do you think it's possible? Do you think once you found yourself after a three-month sabbatical in the Himalayas, you will be able to keep yourself? Pastor Raj is just going to Cape Town again. <laughs> Can you trust yourself with yourself? Once you've kept yourself, once you found yourself, can you keep yourself? You see, another problem with this definition of identity, of this fact that you take your ethnicity, your income, your group of friends, your Twitter feed, your Facebook page, and you put it all in a pot, and then you dissect it, and once you've dissected, divided by 12, you find your identity. The problem with this way of thinking is simply this. Culture is a construct. It is a man-made construct. Therefore, it lacks some level of eternal perspective. Culture lacks some level of eternal perspective. It also lacks the guarantee of permanence. What culture is today is not what it was 100 years ago. And culture is moving so fast, tomorrow everything will have changed. Everything will have changed. So what do you bank your identity on? Do you bank it on the cultures of man? Or do you bank it on something different? The kingdom of God says different. The kingdom of God says this. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says that whilst you were in, no, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So watch this. What the Bible is saying is this. Before you tasted culture, you had an identity. Before you were black, before you were white, before you were poor, wealthy, before you had Facebook, before you had friends who liked you, hated you, before you were Indian, colored, before you had long hair, short hair, no hair, Greg, before, (laughs) before all those things that you are trying to place your life upon, before all those things, you had an identity. And that identity was known by God. And now all of our lives, we are trying to find who we were before we were tainted by imperfection. And who we were before sin happened was found only in God's presence. The Bible also says, Genesis 1 verse 26, that the one who gave you identity, God made man in his image and his likeness. It is God who gave you an identity. Whether you follow him or not, whether you know him or not, he gave you an identity and he gave you that perfect identity before you went into culture. In fact, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, as it's talking about Adam's role, it uses the word that Adam cultivated the ground. That word cultivate actually comes from the same root word as culture. In other words, God gave man identity and then God released man to create culture. Not to be defined by it, but instead... To create it. It's why in Matthew, when Jesus rocked up in a Jewish culture, being a Jew himself, he said things like this. 
You have heard it said once in your culture that you should do this and that and this and that. But I tell you, there is another way to live. You see, if you can't see that your identity is beyond your culture, you will never be able to correct and release the kingdom into culture. You will be limited by the lenses that culture puts on you. Jesus was not like that. He stepped into culture, spoke about religious things that people would have considered sacred cows, called them out, and he said this, this is what you've heard, but let me tell you this, your heart already hates that individual. So already you've, you, you've transgressed. The kingdom is different to the cultures of this world. Who are you listening to when you are trying to find your identity? Are you listening to the kingdom of God? Or are you listening to the cultures of man? I want to propose to you this evening that the key to your identity is in God's hand. That actually, in order for you to know who you are, you need to discover him. And by discovering him, you will find who you are. And God wants to walk you through the process of your identity. And this evening, I want to give you three tools, or rather three things that you need to activate in your life in order to come into your truest identity. You see, as much as God has the key to our identity, sometimes we like to use our own keys to try and find our truest identity. We like to use the key of sexuality, the key of our skin color, the key, the key of our social status, the key of the seasons of our life, the key of our gender. We use all those keys to try and find only what God has. So I'm hoping today that you will be convinced that the answer to who you are doesn't lie in what you see around you, but it lies in the one who's above you. And that if you look to him, not only will you find him, but you will find who you are. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. For you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray this evening as we all stand before you that you would speak to us, Lord that you would answer the deep questions of our heart and beyond giving us an answer, Lord, may you open our hearts and our minds to be diligent seekers of you, diligent seekers of your word and diligent seekers of who you say we are. So this evening, Lord, help us in Jesus' name, amen. Three things today that I wanna encourage you to activate in your life in order for you to know your truest identity. One, you need to activate acceptance. Two, you need to activate self-worth. And three, you need to activate practices of denial. 
One, acceptance. Two, self-worth. And three, practices of denial. One of my friends and colleagues, he's here somewhere, I think he's moved out um, to the back. Siasanga and his wife, five, six years ago, adopted their eldest son. And um, it, it, it was amazing, it was great. And a month after uh, his eldest son was at his house, they decided to go to Mtata, where Siasanga comes from. That's where his parents are. And so he, he took his son and his wife, they went to Mtata, and the whole time he was deeply concerned about one major thing. You see, in Kosa culture, your first name is not as important as your clan name. Your clan name holds the keys to everything, right? And he knows that he is adopting someone from another tribe, and it's not common that you will be given a clan name, that your family's clan name will be given to someone who belongs to another tribe. And so the whole time, he's there for 10 days, he's thinking to himself, how is he going to have this conversation? He really believes and wants his son to be bestowed upon him the clan name. His clan name is Guanin, right? And so they're there for 10 days. In the middle of that, one of the days, Siasanga's dad calls Siasanga's son. And to his amazement, he calls him by his clan name. And he calls him by his clan name for the rest of the time in front of everybody in the family. And now everybody in the family started following suit. They started calling Siasanga's son by the clan name. And everybody was declaring this thing that you are a Kwanini. In a moment, this kid moved from having no identity, no family, to having an inheritance, to, 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 to embodying every single thing that the Guanini household has in one moment, just because someone decided to name him, just because someone decided to name him. It is why this line in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 is so critical and why it should, it should affect us deeply, emotionally, and mentally. The fact that God says about you, you are my chosen people. You might have other people, but you are my chosen people. I accept you and I declare over you my name. In this moment, you carry with you all the inheritance of the kingdom. There is nothing anyone can do to take it away from you. God was so intent and intentional, rather, about this, that in Ephesians 1, verse 4, in the beginning of this verse, he says this, He, speaking of God, chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Before you even had a chance to wink right, God said, yes. Before you even had a chance to choose right, he said, you, I accept you, I choose you, you are mine. The power of acceptance, the power of acceptance. I wish life was as simple as the statement. You see, the reason why you're not as moved about the statement, one is we've heard the statement a number of times, especially if you come to church quite often. But also another reason why we are not as moved with the statement is simply this. 
we haven't only chosen the place of God's acceptance in our life. There are other places that we have chosen to be our places of acceptance. And, and so every now and again, we might come to church, be a Christian, but unknowingly and sometimes knowingly, there are other places where we have placed our agreement to be accepted by that thing. It is why you hate your job, but you don't want to leave because you know there is a social status that is attached to your job. It is why you cannot leave that boyfriend, that girlfriend that you know. I'm trying to save Greg five minutes of ministry time. It is why you can't leave them. It is why as much as you want to stop sleeping with them, you just can't. Why? Because a part of you needs to be accepted by them to tell you that you're something. And as much as you come to church on a Sunday, now please hear me. Okay, please hear me. All of us have fallen short. But I want you to understand something very important here. That the choices you make are a reflection of what has accepted you. The choices you make are, are, are a reflection of the thing you've allowed to say, I choose you. What has chosen you? If it is not God, who? What? Why? Why? And when you look at whatever that thing is, how does it measure up to an eternal father? I'm just asking. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be weird. Here's the reality. This longing to be something is given to us by God. But when we attach our desire to be something based on being accepted by anyone else outside God, we begin to move into what the Bible calls idols. Those things that if this is God, they are the things that are right here. Oh, maybe... Other way, if this is God, there are the things that are right here. And it's hard for you to see God in his truest form without having to see him through your idols. And so it's easy then to excuse your own behavior. Easier then to excuse what you want to do because God, I see you through this. Surely, God, you want me to do it? Surely you want me to stay here? Surely you want me to stay in this job because you want me to be seen as this kind of person. You want me to have this level of salary. I won't move because, Lord, you have ordained me. You've ordained me to have a great Twitter feed, a great Facebook. Now, please, I love Facebook. I posted a lot this week, too. Thank you. These guys know how long that took me to do. <laughs> but I want you to understand something. When it's all said and done, what you allow to accept you will speak into your life. The highest level of acceptance that you say yes to is the thing that speaks to you the most. Tim Keller puts it like this when he speaks about identity as it relates to worship. Whatever you worship 
Whatever you hold in high esteem above every single thing in life, whatever you worship, you give permission and power to define who you are. So if you want to activate acceptance by God, guess what you need to do? Worship. Listen, don't sing. Worship. Don't dance. Dancing is great. Hurts your knees. <laughs> worship. When you worship, what you are telling your soul is, I am affirming that the person who has the ultimate say in who I am and who I become is him. And whatever else you choose to worship besides God, you are saying the exact same thing about that. I am begging you to not, and I've said this before, to not say statements like, oh, if it wasn't for my wife, I don't know where I'll be in my life. I don't know what I'll do with my life. You better know. <laughs> you better know where you'd be. Oh, if my husband was not around, I don't. You better know. Otherwise, you've placed that individual in a place where they don't belong. And now, their absence becomes your problem. And you begin to do things, say things, cry for things that you didn't cry for before because they're not around. Now, please, let's love deeply. Let's love meaningfully, so much so that we mourn when we lose a friend, mourn when someone goes away who shouldn't, who, who, who's left before the time, or whatever. Let's mourn. Let's allow our souls to heal, but let's not idolize. But let's allow our souls to relate healthily to the people that are around us and the things that are around you. I love the fact that in the Bible, when it speaks of Abraham getting his first son, when it speaks of his longing desire for years and years and years and years to get one thing from God, having done everything right, having been so good, all these wonderful things that he's done. I love the fact that when he gets his son, God says, take him to the mountain. What things in your life need to go to the altar of sacrifice? What things in your life need to be put on the altar so that if they need to die, they die, and if they don't, God saves them? What things? Because if there's nothing that you're taking to the altar, you are carrying a whole lot of things with you that you might not know if God wants you to have. So if you want to cement in your life and activate the power of acceptance by God, worship. Place him above everything else. When you wake up in the morning, let him be the card at the top of your deck. Then you say, I place my life on you. Choose to worship and you will find the depths of acceptance from him who has chosen you before time began. Next point is this. Self-worth. Self-worth. You want to activate self-worth. 1 Peter 2 goes on to say that you are holy, you are royal, and you are God's very own possession. Now, I'm wearing some shoes right here. These are nice shoes. My wife bought them for me. Now, 
I don't want to know how much they were. You know, that gets me worried, you know. But when I die, maybe these shoes might still be around. I don't know, right? But when I die, my kids will look in my wardrobe. They will find these shoes and they will decide whether they want to keep them or not. The reason why they will keep them is not because these shoes are expensive, because they're not. The reason why they will keep them is because they know who these shoes belong to. The reason why you have self-worth is not because of what you do. Please hear me. The reason why you have self-worth is not because of what you do or what family you were born in or what school you went to or the color of your skin. The reason why you have self-worth is because you belong to God. You are God's possession. That's what makes you filled with self-worth. You see, when you allow him to be the defining point in your life, when that worship has allowed the fullness of God's acceptance to have its work in you, then you realize that, man, there is something that you are that no other man can give you. There's a self-worth that Siasanga's kid began to have the moment he was named Ekwanini. He started talking like a Guanini. People started saying he looks like Guaninis. He started, he started doing things that Guaninis do that other people don't do. Why? Because acceptance from the right place creates self-worth in the right place. In your soul. You are God's very own possession. I, I was doing foundations now uh, upstairs just before the service. One of the questions I asked the guys, was this. Why do we struggle to believe the good things that God has to say about us? Why do we? Why do we struggle to believe when God says, you are holy? Why do we struggle to believe when he says, you are chosen? One of the reasons we struggle to believe when God speaks into our lives is this. We would rather hear from someone we see than someone we don't see. It is hard for me to fully appreciate what he says because I don't see him and other people don't see me with him. Or maybe if, if a prophet stood by me here and told me who I was in front of everybody, then they will finally, she will finally know I'm a good man. Right? And I will finally know I'm a good when the prophet picks me up from the crowd and says, hey, this about, you will get picked up from a crowd. But that hair is awesome right there. That hair is the man. If I was a prophet, I would pick you out now. You are chosen by God. I'm telling you, he will choose you again tonight. <laughs> he can't miss you. <laughs> it's good to see you. Welcome, man. I know it's your first time. <laughs> So, this idea that we need to be picked out from a crowd and told who we are, again, is because we want to see it in front of us in order to believe it. You see, but there wouldn't be need for faith if that was the deal. There wouldn't be need for faith. 
But when you actually have faith, you activate your self-worth. You put it in to focus. Because now you are hearing his words, not from the perspectives of, not from the perspective of this world, but from the perspective of eternity. And his words ring deeper to your soul than any other words can ring to you. This is what God says about you in Isaiah 43, verse 3 to 4. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Because you are precious to him. You are the apple of his eye. Your self-worth comes because you belong to him, not because of anything else. A pastor was telling a story, it's a real story, of how he was called into a meeting to go uh, speak to a woman who was struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. This woman had been coming to church regularly. She loves the Lord. and So he, he had this meeting with her. And in the middle of the meeting, She said this. She said, but oh, pastor, what does it matter to be a Christian if no boy will ever ask me out? True story. What happened? What happened? She has faith, but she has a need. She is in, she's in, She's in this place of relationship with God, but she's also in this place of desperation for a relationship. And there's nothing wrong with wanting a relationship. But what happened in that moment is this. The reason why she was being depressed, the reason why she she wanted to commit suicide is this, is that she had placed her faith in what she did not have. She said, Lord, if I can't have this, there is no meaning to life. Oh, but I've given you all of life. I've sent my son to die on the cross for you. Thank you, Lord. But I need a guy. If I don't get a guy, if I don't see it right here in front of me, kissing my forehead, touching my hair, if this doesn't happen, there is no meaning to life. What are those things that you are deriving the meaning of life for over your faith? over the self-worth that God gives you through his word? What, what is it that you believe you need to have in order to be enough? What is it? Is it somebody? Is it a relationship? Is it money? Is it prosperity? Is it a great job? Is it happiness? What is it that you keep telling yourself every morning when you wake up? If I don't have this, I am not enough. What is that thing? Is it more knowledge? Is it more information? Is it being smart, clever, beautiful? What is it that you don't see when you look in the mirror? What is it? See, if you don't know what that thing is, you're going to live your life with that thing be the compass of your life. And just moving around from one joy to the next, but every single time there's, there's this internal, I am not enough, I am not enough, I am not enough. One of the ways, one, you activate self-worth by faith, but also you activate self-worth by authenticity. Now hear me, 
Brene Brown says this, authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. I love the title of the book. Check it out. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you actually are. So here's why authenticity is important to you finding self-worth. Without authenticity, you will think that you need to be someone you're not in order to feel enough. And so every single time you pretend to be something you're not, you are pushing down your real identity and telling your real identity, you're not good enough for this world. You need to look like them, smell like them, eat like them, drive like them, drive with them. You're not good enough. Isn't it a coincidence then that since Facebook was launched, more people are depressed who are, who are waiting for more likes on their Facebook page? I'm not even kidding. Go check the stats. They, they, they put a post and every five minutes, check, 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 check. Oh, no one liked it. Lire, check, 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 check. Why is that? Because we want this deep sense of self-worth without allowing ourselves to be authentic. To go, you know what, this is who I am. And I'm going to protect who I am. And I'm going to love who I am. I'm going to protect who I am. But I'm also going to be authentic with who I am, which means repentance is a practice that I do daily. Why? Because I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And so when I do things that are not reflective of my identity, I repent. I constantly am repenting. Why? Because I know who I am. What I did there, that was not me. Lord, I repent. I'm going back to the high place of thinking about you and about myself. To repent means to re, re, to go back. Pent speaks of a high place. To go back to a high place of thinking. What high place of thinking do you need to go back to so that you can protect the self-worth you have, so you can appreciate who God has made you to be and what he says about you? What he says about you. Lastly, we need practices of denial. It says this in 1 Peter 2. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Here's why I like this phrase, practices of denial. Once you know that you are accepted by God and you know your self-worth, there are things that you do and things that you don't do. If there is nothing that you say no to, you don't know who you are. If you say yes to everything, you don't know who you are. You see, it's why kids, when they two, three, four, five, they are crying for everything. They don't know who they, who they are. They want everything that everyone has. Regardless of what they're drinking, regardless of what they do, they just, oh, I want it, oh, I want it. And then they have it, oh, no, no, I don't want it. And then you drink it some more, I want it, I want it. 
Have you ever felt that your life felt like that? I want it. I want it. <laughs> and then you got it. You're like, no, no, no. I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Lord. I'm sorry. <laughs> Practices of denial. There are things that you, you must become good at saying no to. I want you to hear that phrase. There are things that you must become good at saying no to. Why? Because you've been accepted, you know your self-worth, and as a result of the two, you say yes and no according to his grace. You don't say yes and no according to what you want and according to what they say you should have. You say yes and no according to his grace on your life. Colossians 1 unpacks this whole thing uh, from verse 4 to verse 11. Going to be long verses, but this is the word and it's good for you. Uh, it says this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then he says this. Put to death. That sounds like practices of denial to me. Take a shotgun, see it, shoot it, kill it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, uh, uh, Purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So, these are the things that we are going to continually say no to. Why? Because we have been accepted and we have self-worth. Right? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Everybody said, ooh. (laughs) But that's real now. That's true now. Okay. Um, In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, you had a past identity that allowed you to say yes to the things that now you say no to. You don't have that identity anymore. That thing is gone now. It's dead. But now you must put them all away. Again, look at the phrase, practices of denial. Take them to the left, to the left, right? Was that my right, Richard? <laughs> But now, you must put them all away. Again, and I'm not trying to be weird. Please, please help me here. Don't put some away. This is partly why we are in the state sometimes that we're in. We have put some away. And in putting some, we have told ourselves we have done enough. No. Put all of them away. This includes that thing that you know, that no one knows, that you have, put it away. Put it away. It might not be physical. It might be something else. Put it away. Here's what it says. Put away anger. Put away wrath. Put away malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, Dando. Seeing that you have put off, seeing that you have put off the old self with these practices, next verse, and have put on the new self, right? You have put off, and now you have put on, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or that word, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, so, so, I've got acceptance, I have self-worth, 
I have practices of denial. I'm going to say something. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard for some of you to hear, but, but hear me. Because my identity existed before culture was created, it means that Corinthians is true when Paul says, I can now be a Jew to the Jew, a Gentile to the Gentile. Here's what he's saying. I have an identity beyond my skin. I have an identity beyond my culture. Therefore, I can be black to black people, and I can figure out a way to be white to white people. (laughs) I can figure out a way to be poor to the poor people, rich to the rich people. In other words, what I hold tightly is my identity. What I hold loosely is my culture. Again, now again, this is hard for some of you to agree with. You know why? When, when you are oppressed, your identity becomes that thing that was oppressed. It's no coincidence that black people, Indian people, colored people are still struggling to find life beyond the image of their skin. Partly it's because there's still injustice taking place. But another reason is because we have been oppressed and so it's hard to see life beyond this thing. It is why people who have decided to live another life regarding their sexuality find it hard to to, to have a conversation that says, hey, maybe there's another way to live. Why? Because my identity is in this thing that has been oppressed by people who don't understand it, right? I am, I, am, I am asking you, I am asking you to hear me. If you don't allow yourself to live in your truest identity, you will always live in that place which culture has told you you should live. It is why you will continually struggle to find the level of joy you desire. Right now, Afrikaans people, white people, are going through a little bit of that dynamic now where they feel oppressed. They feel that they don't belong. And so what is happening? All of a sudden, everything is being seen through this. Do I belong here? Will I ever be enough here? Oh, maybe, maybe I will be killed here or whatever it is. All those, all those realities are true for both cultures, all the cultures. But what I'm saying to you is this. If you don't find a superior identity, you are bound to live in the level that culture gives you. I think the kingdom is a higher level than your culture. Higher level than my dad's culture. It is why when I go into culture, I have to go, hey, dad, I've heard it said that this, 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 but I want to tell you that there is another way because I hold my identity in Christ firmly, but I hold everything else loosely. And here's what he said in Corinthians as I close. He says, the reason why I hold it loosely is because of this. I become a Jew to the Jews so that I might win them. I become a Gentile to the Gentiles so that I might win them. The reason I hold it loose is so that I might get you to taste the truest level of identity, which is only 
in the kingdom. If I only identify with you from a place of culture without giving you the kingdom, you remain unchanged. But I choose to shift and become a missionary to your context so that you might come into the kingdom. I know not everybody agrees. I know this feels like a dag word that has smarties in it. And you have no idea, why is there a smarty? And, and again, culture tells us, if you choose something that you don't like, spit it out. Life doesn't work like that. We, we can't spit out what we don't like. We can't take the word, and when the word pierces its way into our lives and into our culture and shines a light of truth and exposes what is God and what is not, we can't at that moment go, mm, I don't like this one. We can't. We can't. We need to keep on chewing. Keep on chewing. Keep on chewing. What does keep on chewing look like? Stay in community. Stay reading your word. Stay in a place of prayer. Stay inquisitive, asking him, Lord, speak to me, direct me. Stay chewing. Don't run. Oh, he, he, he said or he didn't say what he should have said. Now I'm going to run. No, keep chewing. Rick Warren says this as I close. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that life, until you understand that, that you were made by God and for God, until you understand that, you will never Makes sense. Your life will never make sense. Man, that, that was going to be a great way to end. I just messed it up. Do you know your identity? If you don't know your identity, something in you doesn't make sense. But this tells us that if something in you doesn't make sense, the only place you can go is God. Go to him. Know why he has made you. Know what for he has made you. Know that he has made you rather and know what the reason for him making you was. As you discover him, you find who you are. Let's pray and close. Father, I thank you that from generation to generation, your word still stands and that it will continue to stand even after this generation passes. Thank you that the best way to live life in a way that makes sense in eternity is to live by your word. Help us, Lord, that when we find things in the word that make us uncomfortable, find things in the word that make us twinge, that you keep us by your grace in this place of trusting you with our lives, trusting you with our thoughts, trusting you with our hearts. This evening, Lord, we thank you that you know us. We thank you, Lord. We don't have to run far to know who we are. We just have to stay with you. We just have to stay with you. So this evening, we dedicate ourselves again to you. In Jesus' name. If you're here this evening, and even just talking about identity has made you realize that you need to follow Jesus, the one who gives us self-worth. And he gave us that self-worth by dying on the cross for all of us. In him doing that, he declared not only to you, but to all of humanity 
that anyone who would believe in him will have eternal life with him. If you're here today and you know that you need to change the course of your life, you don't like the direction that the idols of your life are taking you. You don't like the direction that the things in your life are taking you. You know you need to find your true north, that which is Jesus. If that's you, and you say, I want to give my life to him. We want to pray with you. We're going to stand with you. If there's anyone here who's saying, that's me, do you mind lifting up your hand so we can pray with you and stand with you? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else who says, that's me? That's me. Anybody else? Amen, Lord. Anybody else? Come to the altar. Find that place in Christ where he will tell you who you are. Anyone else who's saying, that's me this evening? Family, can we all stand together? I want to ask that those of you who put up your hand, if you wouldn't mind doing something bold this evening, we want to stand with you, but also we want to make sure that we give you tools and help you to have a great start in this journey of knowing God. And so if that's you, if you lifted up your hands, we want to pray for you. Do you mind just coming down to the front, coming down to the altar? We want to make sure that you get a proper step into salvation. Amen, amen. Don't be afraid. Come on. Come on. Lord, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. For each and every soul, we give you praise, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As a family, in this moment now, as a family, we want to pray with you. So if you wouldn't mind praying this prayer after me. The power is not in the prayer. The power is in the belief of the heart. Pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, this evening, I give my life to you. I declare with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you, Lord Jesus, are my Lord and Savior. That you died, that you rose, and that you live on high. This evening, I declare that I am saved. I declare that I am new. I declare that I've been made whole in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. All right.